Welcome this morning. My name is Cameron. I'm the pastor here at Conduit. Uh, we're grateful that you're with us this morning. Um, you know, for the, last, for the last few weeks and for the weeks uh, into the foreseeable future, we'll continue to have two services. And so, of course, um, you know, you're, you're not seeing maybe half or looks like a little bit more than half of your church family this morning who will probably be coming to the 11 o'clock service. But, of course, you can um, always, you know, you can double dip and you can come to church twice, you know, like twice the worship, twice the word, twice the coffee, twice the people. Uh, certainly welcome you to stay for the 11 o'clock service. And of course, uh, if you're not able to make it for a Sunday, um, you can always catch us online, either on our YouTube channel or our Facebook page um, as well. So um, we, have no, we have no formal announcements this week. I will, I'm going to give you a pre-announcement announcement for next week, though. And uh, to make sure that if you aren't going to be here next week, that you at least watch online or get online right after the service to make sure you get all of the information about the Thanksgiving event that will be coming up here at the end of November. It's kind of an annual event that we do, if you remember, to um, help provide Thanksgiving meals to as many families in the county or in the Jamestown area as we can. Um, we have partnered with a few other churches this year and decided to go much bigger <laughs> than uh, we have in the past. So we'll be talking about um, uh, manning three different locations and doing about 500 turkeys um, and grocery bags. So you're going to want to be here next week to hear all about that. Um, we're really excited to, to talk about that again. Uh, and of course, yesterday... Uh, I know looking out in the service, I know many of you were here yesterday and you've been hearing about it for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months about our Brave event that was here yesterday, um, as a, uh, which has become kind of an annual one and um, that event is aimed at um, uh, girls and now boys as well in that kind of uh, preteen to teen demographic that have been identified as at-risk um, at-risk individuals in uh, just in in our community in our county and a an event specifically geared towards them um, affirming in them God's love for them uh, the confidence that they can have in Jesus Christ um, helping them to make good community connections with each other and uh, it was a great event um, I will I'm not going to talk any more about it because I want to, I want to leave that till next week when we do a full recap of that. Um, but where we are this week is continuing in our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and uh, we're only going to be here for one more week. And then after that, we're going to uh, start a small little series called Talking Points. Um, and talking points will be taking much of what we've been um, learning about the Jesus ethic of life and relationship um, in the Sermon on the Mount and asking some critical questions um, about how, how do we take things like the, how, how do we make applicable the Jesus ethic of life when we're approaching something like a, I don't know, an election. Um, and so what are some of those key and critical talking points um, that we want to talk about. And I, and I, I, I want to encourage you, of course, 
I always want to encourage you to be in church, right? But I want to encourage you, of course, to be here because like we have talked about several times in the last few weeks and months, um, you know, I'm 38 years old, haven't seen that many elections, but I don't remember an election where uh, there was so much polarization in the world, uh, or at least in our country, as there is in this one, right? And apart from the actual maybe political or ideological issues that separate people as followers of Jesus Christ, our, our commitment right, to uh, love far supersedes and surpasses any allegiance that we have to a political position or a political stance. Of course, we've talked several times in the Sermon on the Mount how Jesus, um, Jesus is more about people than he is about positions. He's more about people than he is about policies. And so when comparatively, right, we look across the proverbial political, theological, ideological aisle, right, we should see a person, a person who is a daughter of God, a son of God, one, one needing to receive the kindness, the grace, the gentleness, the compassion, the love of Jesus Christ. So as people who follow Jesus, how do we help bridge that gap, create a new trajectory of relationship and conversation with each other? So, um, But we're going to be uh, in the Sermon on the Mount again this morning. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it to Matthew chapter 6. Um, you can also get it on your phone, of course. We'll have it on the screen. If you have the Conduit Ministries app, um, there's a link to the Bible on our app as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Starting at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to their life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grasses of the field, which are here today and tomorrow are thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word to us. We pray, Lord, that we would hear not just what is presented in like the literal words of Jesus, but we would see um, that Your Holy Spirit would reveal to us, Father, uh, 
the spirit behind what Jesus is speaking about here. Father, that we would learn uh, surrendering our worries, our cares, all the way from our daily provision up into the deepest hurts of our lives, that we would be surrendering them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, guys, this is specifically for you. Um, I've got a little pro tip from, from marriage, okay? Relationships, whatever. Whenever your wife or your significant other is worried or anxious or scared, all you got to do is say, hey, don't worry. And then she won't worry anymore and it'll be okay. So just be really firm about saying, oh, you're worried? Well, just don't worry. And, and then just move on, right? And um, it, it, like, 50% of the time, it works 90% of the time. So whenever you have an issue with someone being worried in your life, just like the words of Jesus here, just tell them, hey, don't worry, and it will be just fine, right? Now, how many of us, how many, like you, me, uh, I've said it to my wife before, um, she said it to me before, like, hey, it doesn't work like that. You know, it doesn't, it's not as simple as just being like, oh, you're worried? Well, just choose not to worry. Just, just choose not to. Just choose not to be anxious. Just choose not to be fearful. Choose not to be stressed. If it was as um, simple as that, right? I could tell my, I could tell one of my kids, "Hey, don't worry about you know. I know the hallway is dark, but you just just choose not to be afraid to walk down it and go to your room." Or, or when I'm fearful or insecure or anxious about something, and my wife is trying to speak confidence in me, right? Where she, where, where, where it would just be as simple as what, as someone saying something to me, hey, like, don't be that way, don't think like that, don't feel that way. And, of course, it would be ideal situation if you could just flip a light, like a light switch in your heart, right, and have all of those things go away. But, for many reasons, and sometimes those reasons are different in each of our lives, uh, it just simply is not that easy. But it seems at least on the surface, that Jesus attempts to make it that easy here. Therefore, he says, do not worry. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. Because in essence, God's got it. God's got it under control. And while we don't, from experience, right, want to... Um, we, we don't, from experience, want to, of, of course, just say, well, Jesus just didn't know what he was talking about. Right? Because obviously Jesus does know what he's talking about. But, but we also want to look at what, um, what we've been talking about several times over the last few weeks and months as we've been preaching this. is the way that Jesus used teaching to kind of like draw out some real deep spiritual points by using examples that are uh, really easy for everyone to relate to. So Jesus uses things here 
uh, in this section of teaching, like the clothes that you wear and the food that you drink and maybe your physical appearance. Now, so the question is, like, okay, is Jesus using literal language when he's teaching here? Like, he literally does not want us to, w- to worry at all about what we wear. Um, is he using figurative language here? Or, like, symbolic language? Or is he using, like, hyperbole, right? Exaggeration for effect. How is Jesus using these examples here? Now, well, if I wasn't worried at all about what I was going to eat, for instance, or what my family was going to eat, maybe I just wouldn't go to Wegmans, right? I wouldn't go grocery shopping. I wouldn't do any of that because, right, in an extreme example of, hey, I don't need to worry about it at all, Jesus is going to handle it. All I need to do is not worry, right? So you take, you take something like what Jesus says and you take it to the literal nth degree and it doesn't make sense, right? But then we take it to the literal nth degree in the other side and being like, I am, like my family's survival is 100% completely dependent upon me. God makes no promise for provision over them. God makes no promise for for their, for their sustenance, their daily bread, as I trust in Him and work hard, right? And so, if we understand that, like, the nth degree over here really doesn't make sense when looking at the whole picture of Scripture, and the nth degree over here doesn't make sense when you take, like, the whole, um, the whole council of Scripture, then we need to be somewhere in the middle, as is often the case. Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? So God uses food and clothing. Jesus uses food and clothing. It's kind of like, again, we're going to use it as a case study to talk about the heart condition of worry. Take something that's like so simple, so basic to each one of our needs, and we're going to use it to talk, Jesus is going to use it to talk about worry. It's important, I think, for us to like grab onto or grasp at least some sense of understanding what, what does it mean to worry. Uh, now, my name is not Webster. I don't own a dictionary. This is not their definition, right? But in context of where Jesus takes us, right? what is worry? Um, worry here is a mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, or all of the above, right? Preoccupation with circumstances in an effort to control and avoid pain. It is a mental, emotional, physical, and or spiritual preoccupation with circumstances in an effort to control and avoid pain. Why are you worried about that? Well, I'm worried about that, and I'm like, uh, my mind is preoccupied with it, and it's beginning to like 
preoccupy even my emotional state and I'm actually physically getting like the feeling in the pit of my stomach anxious about it and no longer can I really focus on anything else because I feel like in the act of letting it preoccupy all that I am that somehow, some way, in some way, shape, or form, I'm controlling the circumstances in order to avoid the pain that they may cause in my life. Right? So like the harder I think about it, the more control I have over it. The more I let it seep into every crack and crevice of my life, right, the better equipped that I will be to shield myself against the pain of the imaginary circumstance that I have concocted in my mind that will come from it, right? Now, what have we learned? Like, if we're all, like, writing it down on paper, right, we're stepping outside of ourselves for a second, and we see that. What have we learned about the um, effectiveness of that? How, how does that work for us? Does it work well? No, it doesn't work well, right? In fact, the question is, does a, does a mental, physical, emotional, spiritual preoccupation with circumstances in order to avoid pain or discomfort, does it actually do anything to help you avoid pain? Or, maybe kind of rhetorically asking, does it actually create a little bit more anxiety for you? Does it actually create a little bit more pain for you? Does it, does it actually just give you something else to think about? I don't know about you, but I often get anxious about how anxious I am. <laughs> Sometimes, when I'm feeling a little depressed, right? and I can't like break out of the funk, I'd be like, man, I'm so depressed. <sighs> it's so depressing. Right? I worry about how much I worry. I get angry at how angry I am. And so, allowing things, allowing our minds, our emotions, our spirit to simply be preoccupied with the circumstances in life because... We think of the more we turn it over in our mind, the more we turn it over in our heart, somehow that will fix it, right? Is, it's a trick. It's a trap. It actually creates, I think, more pain in us. Because what it does, at least what it does in me, is it reveals, it reveals in me how absolutely powerless I actually am to control the outcome of circumstances in my life. I can worry and I can worry and I can worry and then I think that if I don't if I don't worry about it that means I don't care about it, right? So I keep worrying and I keep worrying in an effort to somehow manipulate the target of those circumstances and at the end of the day I'm not left feeling any better or any more in control of what actually happens in fact I am just reminded about how powerless I am to actually affect the outcome of certain circumstances in my life and then I look back on all the worrying I did and it's like I made myself sick for nothing at all didn't it did me no good it, it, it revealed, again, it just maybe shine 
um, a little bit more of a spotlight on how absolutely unequipped I am to deal with this thing. Now, that may strike you as kind of like a, well, I don't want to be powerless and I don't want to be, I don't want to be unequipped. I don't, I don't want it to reveal how much I can't handle X, Y, or Z. And I agree. I don't want to be reminded of my powerlessness any more than you do. I don't want to be reminded of my inability to change the trajectory of circumstances simply by ruminating over them in my life any more than you do. But we can continue to sit in this false bravado of, hey, I got this. I, I can handle this situation. I, no, I'm not, wor I'm not worried about anything because I got it all. I'm just bringing it up here, right? Just wrapping it around my mind. Letting it twist our souls all up into a bundle until one day, right, everything just snaps. And it will. Because there is ultimately a, a like underlying spiritual corollary to this idea of worry. And the idea of worry that I'm talking about is like this preoccupation with trying to control circumstances so we avoid the pain, right? There is an undergirding spiritual um, position or foundation there. And, and what it's going to do, like before we talk about it, what it's going to do, it's going to be like, uh-uh, that's not me. It is you. It is you. And it is me. And it is all of us. Uh, and, and until we come to a point of saying, like, yeah, yeah, in various forms and in various ways and in various, like, intensities, yeah, that's me. That's me. And I'm, it's okay, right? Because, look, it is okay. It is. I'm here telling you right now that as a follower of Jesus for 22 years now, as a pastor for 15. Like, it's true for me. It's true for you. It's true for us all. What is the underlying spiritual or biblical corollary with worry? Worry, spiritually, is ultimately a lack of confidence that God both will and can handle it. Whatever the situation may be, ultimately, when you when you distill it down to its most simplest form, worry is ultimately a lack of confidence that God either will handle it or can handle it. God doesn't got it, so I've got to hold a portion of it because He cannot be trusted with the whole thing. I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold some of this, Lord, to make sure it goes the way that I need it to go. I'm going to hold some of it because the fear of letting go of it is, is more than the fear of holding on to it and letting it to continue to hurt me, right? Now if we look at our scripture from this morning, you'll we'll be reminded once again, right, uh, God, God's word is clear, and like we said, if we, di if we distill this down to its simplest and most foundational 
statement, right? Taking what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. If we take that, distill it down, what's the like kind of like the end goal, the really like target statement? Jesus is saying to us, right? God's word is clear. I am in control, therefore there is no need to worry. What does Jesus say? God is in control, therefore there is no need to worry. Now, stay with me, all right, because I understand. It's like, a, oh, easy for Jesus to say, right? Easy for him to say. God's in control. Oh, geez, why didn't someone tell me that before? I would have just not worried if I knew that, right? Not that simple, we understand, okay? But there are, um, I think that there are, we ultimately need to be reminded of these things. Because we are, we are constantly fed a diet of, you are in control of your own life. You make your own decisions, right? Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Work harder, do more, be better, and things will get better, right? So much of our life is based upon our own ability to, like, just make it happen, right? Um, you know, American individualism and exceptionalism run amok in our spiritual lives, which tells us just do it better, just work harder, and everything will be okay. I'm here to tell you, I'm not that good, right? I've tried it. I've ran the race of working harder, doing better, seeking more, like, and I still find myself in the same spot, just more tired. Not any less worried, not any less anxious, not any less depressed, just more tired. More empty. More, like, feeling a sense of powerlessness that I you know, ran myself in circles and ended up right back where I began. You see, there is a thing about worry, and I guess it's corollary fear, that um, is apparent here. If, if God's Word tells us, or if God is speaking to us through His words, I am in control, therefore there is no need to worry, I want to understand uh, that a little bit more personally. Now, you all know I've got, I have five kids. Uh, my oldest is nine, my youngest is three, and they're in various stages of being afraid of the dark. Right? The three-year-old doesn't know enough to be afraid. Right? The nine-year-old knows too much. Right? So there's sharks around the corner. Right? There's ninjas in the stairway. Um, and if he steps into the dark, like, instant goner. Pulled underneath the bed by the boogeyman, it's over, right? Like, absolutely would rather um, sleep on the kitchen table underneath the lights than walk upstairs in the dark. Period. Right? So what does it take? What does it take to take that, that little boy with all of that fear wrapped up inside of him, right? And make him, like, not fear. Bring him from the point of worry, anxiety, fear, depression, you know, 
pick your emotional or mental or physical or spiritual preoccupation. Two, the biblical foundation of God is in control, therefore there is no need to worry. Now it's hard for us to kind of put those two things together until you put yourself back in the mind of that nine-year-old little boy. You know, there are, there's really one thing that makes that fear go away. When everything is dark, there's one thing that makes that fear go away. Okay, buddy, I understand that you're afraid. I could sit there and like explain it to him and talk it through with him and let him know all the reasons he doesn't have to be afraid or I just pick him up. I just pick him up. I walk up the stairs and I walk down the hallway and I walk through that little side of the house and I walk through that little like TV room that we have upstairs and walk past the stairwell and walk into the bedroom and the entire time he's not cowering with fear in my arms with his head buried in my neck not wanting to see the dark not wanting to think about what's around the corner or what's under the bed or what's hi hiding in the stairwell. There is zero fear on his face, zero fear in his emotions, zero fear exhibited in his body. Why? Not because the imagination has stopped or not because I have talked him out of it or, or, or come to some you know, intellectual like understanding that there's not really a shark around the corner, but when I carried him, all fear was removed. Because in the innocence of his mind, there is absolutely nothing to fear in the presence of his father. Nothing. That in the presence of his father, right, no one is as strong, of course, right? right? No one is as brave. No one loves him more. No one, no one takes care of him better, right? That when, when, when in the presence of the father, the fear of a child, it's not even a factor anymore. Buddy, are you afraid? No. Why would I be afraid? Like, you're with me. You're, you're here. How is it? How is it that in the innocence of a nine-year-old's mind, the innocence of a nine-year-old's spirit, they perfectly understand the spiritual corollary of because God is in control. There is no need to worry. Because my Father is here. Because my Father is with me. I need not worry. Where, where did we lose that? Where? Where in the world did we lose that? I think that is in some way, shape, or form the point that Jesus be like is exploring here in this section of scripture, right? Is is he says, "Hey, look, um, let me use some of the most seemingly mundane things in 
in like the world to express a deeper spiritual point to you. Now, I don't know about you. Um, I know most of you, right? And so I know that in general, most of you didn't wake up this morning and be like, wow, I'm really worried that I'm not going to have anything to eat today. Or, geez, um, what pair of the ten pair of pants will I wear to church? Right, so, so we're not all really usually waking up in this deep sense of like worry about what we will eat today or what we will drink or what we will wear. These things are rather, they're, they're, they're rather mundane, but if we would allow them to speak um, maybe symbolically to us, we, we become um, a little bit more in tune with the spirit of what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus uses food, clothing, birds, flowers of the field as examples of a, of a few main points this morning. And Here's the first one. If God is diligent, present, and intentional in life to even care for those mundane things, then He will be exceedingly diligent and present in your life. What, what, is, what is the point that Jesus is making here? Jesus is making and saying, look, look, look God, God clothes the lilies of the field. God feeds the birds of the air. God, 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 rest, like God rests His provision on even the most mundane aspects of His life. He is diligent. He is intentional. He is present in even the things that you and I would look at and be like, oh yeah, it's just a flower. Oh, it's just a bird. Right? He is intentional and present to provide for even those seemingly mundane things. And if He is so intentional, if He is so diligent, if He is so present, then He will be exceedingly so in your life. Well, how can you make that? I mean, how can we make that assumption? How can we make the assumption that God is going to be exceedingly present in our life just because He clothes the lilies of the field with great beauty and adorns them, right? Well, because Jesus tells us exactly that. In verse um, 26, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then the rhetorical question comes in, are you not much more valuable than they? You are exceedingly more valuable. Exceedingly more precious. Exceedingly more worthwhile. And if God has been so faithful to care for the mundane things, how much more exceedingly present and intentional will He be to be present in your life? See, because here is the reality that Jesus expresses here is that God, your Father, knows every need, every fear, every desire, every emptiness that exists within you, and He delights to meet your need, to comfort your fear, to provide in the midst of your desire, and to fill you in the midst of 
your emptiness. These things are not lost on God. In fact, Jesus says, Jesus says here, before you even have awareness of your need, God knows it and is diligent to meet it. He says, for the pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. There is no worry in your heart. There is no anxiety in your mind. There is no fear retching over your body that God is not intimately aware of. That God does not have His finger on fully and completely. I guess the question then remains for us is, okay, if God knows it, God sees it, God knows the need, can I be confident that God will treat it in a way, right, that is like, I should say, harmful to me or comforting to me? Like if God knows it and sees it, what's God going to do with it? Now, we go back to the example of me carrying Noah up the stairs and through the hallway and in the dark. You know, that's a good one, right? But, but even past that, like Jesus, in the next chapter over in Matthew chapter 7, says something almost, almost identical to the same thing that I said with Noah, right? What, is, what will God do in the midst of knowing my needs before I even know them? If we look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, verses 9 through 12 in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, We'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus knows the need. Right? Jesus has his finger on the need, whether the need be um, something I'm worrying about, something I'm anxious over, uh, a particular hurt in my life, right? Maybe it's an actual physical, like, provisional need. Maybe I do have need for food. Maybe I do need, have need for clothing, right? Maybe I, maybe I do have something, like, tangible. I, I have a need. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. What does the, the Word of God say about like, the desire of God to meet those needs? Well, Jesus reminds us that the relationship that we have with God is the relationship between father and son, father and daughter, parent and child, right? The most probably raw, um, like... Um, instinctually protective, providing, um, uh, fierce relationship 
in all existence, right? The relationship between parent and child does not get more intense than that. And what, and what Jesus reminds us is like, like God, God is not simply, God, God is not like a cosmic vending machine, right? Where you push the button and sometimes the thing that you need gets stuck in the little twirly twirls, right? And you got to shake the machine to try and get it out and you can't, right? And you're like disappointed that, ugh, like I wanted that God, but it didn't come out. So, or you pressed the wrong one, like you wanted the Snickers and you got like the banana chips or something stupid like that, right? Um, and like, ah, not what I had in mind, God. Right? God, God's not a vending machine like that, right? It's not, it's not transactional. Like, oh God, if I'm good enough, if I express enough faith, if I, do the, if I pray like five days in a row and read this many chapters, will you then help me with this thing? Like, it's not like that with God. God's not transactional. God is relational. And the overwhelming picture of relationship that Scripture again and again and again communicates is the relationship between parent and child. And what and which one of you, right? The word says, if your child was hungry and asked for a loaf of bread, would be like, huh, here's a stone. Almost mockingly so. Or asked for a fish and gave him a snake and said, How much more then, Jesus says, will your father, your heavenly father, provide for those who need. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who, what? Ask. I am constantly amazed at my ability to forget to ask God. It's like you would think that I have a long personal track record of getting myself out of stupid situations. I'm like, oh yeah, I could just rely on myself again. It works every time. I'll just keep worrying about it and eventually it'll get better. Like you would think that somehow with as much as I forget to go to my father, That I must have like a really great track record myself, but I don't, right? How many of you maybe have one of those relationships with maybe, a, maybe your mom or your dad where, where like if, you, if something was wrong in your life or if you needed something or if something was going like off the rails, like the first person that you would call would be like, man, I got to call my dad. And like I, I, I need like. I need to call my dad. I need to call my mom. Like that, we, we we would run to them, right. And 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 the 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 picture that we see here is that God delights in giving good gifts to His children who ask. What does asking represent? Asking represents this key 
critical action that you can take of releasing control. When I ask, right, what am I communicating? I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't have the ability. I, I can't do it. And so in the midst of worry or anxiety or fear or pain, right, when we think we can do it, we're still holding on, right? We're like white-knuckling it to death. And, and sometimes, in fact, all of the time, what is, what is necessary is actually counterintuitive, right? That when we are overwhelmed with worry, anxiety, or fear, the answer is not hold on tighter and just get through it. The answer is let go of the rope. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here. Um, I'm going to probably get some emails about this later in the week, but there is this scene in one of the greatest movies of all time, The Great Outdoors. Okay? You ever seen The Great Outdoors? John Candy, Dan Aykroyd. Listen, you need leave church right now, go home, watch this movie if you've never watched it before, right? But there is this scene in The Great Outdoors uh, that, that perfectly exemplifies the pain that we experience when we refuse to let go. When we refuse to let go. Now I'm holding on for dear life. I'm going to do this all by myself. I'm going to get through this. So there's like a 95% swear word in this clip. So um, it's like 95% articulated. I'm going to just give me some grace. All right, let's, let's watch this clip.
So he had just got done, right? If you're in trouble, just let go of the rope. If you're in trouble, just let go of the rope, right? But instead, white knuckled all the way through it. How often or how, um, how insistent we are to hold on to that rope thinking that the harder I hold, the more I go through, right, the boat is eventually going to stop, and that might be true, right? But you might get pulled through some stuff first. You might get pulled through some stuff first that does a lot of pain, that does a, a lot of damage, that does a lot of, a lot of hurt, right? And, and we think that, well, maybe, maybe God just wants me to go through this, and maybe God wants me to experience pain, right? Well, I will tell this. There's a, there's a really thin line, right? No, no parent ever wants their child to go through pain. But every parent understands that in the midst of pain, lessons can be learned. But if, if I could, if I could like, step in the way of every bit of pain of my of my children so they would never have to, I would. But I can't. So instead we'll leverage what they experience in order for like, them to you know, increase their trust in Jesus. Finally, um, at the end here, at verse 33, Jesus says, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. When our eyes are fixed on the things of God, um, Jesus takes care of the rest. Now when I... Um, there, there are two things that I want to leave you with, and if you write down anything this morning, write these things down. Maybe, maybe um, helpful for you, maybe there are one of those things that you write in like a index card or a note card and put it on your mirror on your steering wheel or tape it to your phone this week or something similar but when I'm experiencing or going through a particularly worrisome time or experience or situation or I'm very anxious or I'm very fearful of what the future brings or I don't know what's coming or I don't know what to do right Repeat this to yourself if you need to. Have a friend read this over you and remind you, God sees and knows what I need in this moment.
God sees and knows what I need in this moment. When I am worrying, God sees and knows what I need in this very moment. He sees my, he sees my worry. He sees my pain. He sees my fear. He sees my doubt. He sees my lack of faith. He sees my discouragement. He sees my depression. God sees and knows what I need in this moment. And number two, when I am worrying, I surrender my attempt to control and instead trust His goodness towards me. I surrender my attempt to control this thing. should have these up on the screen for you. I surrender my attempt to control these things and trust His goodness towards me. God sees and knows what I need in this moment. I surrender my attempt to control and trust His goodness towards me. That is really the ultimate um, like, principle that Jesus is seeking to con- um, communicate here, right? Not, not about, right, not, he, he, doesn't really, he doesn't really care that you know whether or not the birds are fed and the flowers are beautiful. I mean, uh, yeah, he does, right? But the point here is what? The point is that God is exceedingly aware of what you, his child, needs in every moment of life. It is not, it is not lost on him. He is not unaware of what is here, of what is here, of what is here, of what is here, right? To be reminded once again that your Father sees and knows what you need in that moment. You need carried through the dark. You need comforted in the pain. You need, um, you need affirmed in your questions, right? God sees and God knows. And so because God sees, and because God knows, and because I've been reminded of that, I don't have to hold on. Right? Because God has got it. I don't have to hold on. Right? But even the, even the act of letting go of the rope requires that sometimes I verbally proclaim that I'm releasing control. Are you hearing me, body? Are you hearing me, mind? Are you hearing me, emotions? I'm releasing control. Because I trust God's goodness to me. Because I trust His goodness towards me. Let us put our faith in the One who sees and knows. Let us put our faith in the One that controls. Let us let go of the rope. We can let go of the rope because we trust that God is 
we can trust His goodness to us. Because when we ask for that, right? When we ask, God's not going to give us a stone. God's not going to give us a snake. He is a good Father. And He will give us good things. Let me pray, uh, let me pray for us as we go uh, back into worship this morning. Of course, um, the altar is always open for you know prayer um, as we're worshiping here or post service, as is our kind of um, typical. I tell people that if you want me to pray with you or want someone to pray with you, just come up to this side over here. That I know, if you just want to be pray pray by yourself, come up to this side over here. Um, if you come up and wear a mask, I'll put my mask on too. If you don't wear a mask, I'll assume you're not afraid of my germs or my breath. Okay? Um, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for uh, your word to us. Um, in the midst of all that is uh, scary, in the midst of all that is worrisome, in the midst of all that induces fear and panic and anxiety and worry in our lives, Lord. We recognize our tendency to try and control at every corner. At every step, Lord, we're holding on to the rope, just thinking if we just do it a little bit harder, a little bit more, a little bit better, we uh, will like work ourselves out of it. Father, free us. Lord, free us. Uh, from the worship of our own devices. Give us the strength necessary to let go. That we may trust Your goodness for us. Father who loves us as a parent loves a child. In Jesus' name, Amen.